this morning is uh, we're, we're grateful for that. Um, so thank you for being here. This is the last week of the series that we've been doing called The Sabotage of Sin. Um, next week we'll start a new series called The Monsters Under My Bed. Um, and we're just going to look at a few things starting next week for four weeks uh, that has to do with the things that keep us adults awake at night. Right? It changes. When I was a kid, I was afraid someone was in the closet and they were going to get me as soon as I fell asleep. I'm older now. And I'm afraid the IRS, IRS man's going to come knocking on my door, right? So as we get older, we still have fears. They just shift a little bit. And so, um, so anyhow, we'll do that for four weeks. It'll be a fun time together. Uh, my hope is that this series has really challenged you and really opened your eyes to the real goal of what sin has in our life. We feel like that sin's only purpose was to kind of tempt us, and that was it. We look at the Garden of Eden and go, well, it was just a entice us with something sweet to eat. But when we realized that the whole idea of sin was to sabotage humanity from a connection with their creator, uh, it helps us understand why things happen in our lives. And so I hope that you've had the chance to have your eyes open to it. Now you're more equipped when you face it. Um, know this, that sin is not prevalent because it wants us to experience happiness. As much as it feels like it in the moment, that's not the purpose of what sin. Sin isn't to be this counteractive happiness in our life. Um, sin's purpose was to sabotage our lives. Um, and that sabotage, as we've unfolded over the past three weeks leading up to today, it's been about sabotaging much more than just our spirit, which is what we'll talk about today, but it sabotages our emotions Every negative emotion that we experience is the result of sin. It happened in the Garden of Eden. In that moment, guilt entered into their lives. And also God said there's going to be a rift between man and woman. Basically saying there's going to be emotional issues that's going to cause you two to not want to be together. And those effects still linger today in our world. Sin not only affected us emotionally, but it affected us physically. Anytime you feel pain... When you see that person suffering and you want to intervene so bad, that is the ugliness of what sin has brought into our world. The reason we have to labor for our food is because of sin. Everything physical and negative that we face is a result of sin. And so today we're going to conclude it when we talk about the worst of all sabotages of sin in our life, the spiritual sabotage. Let me open with some prayer. God, thank you for this morning, for the beautiful worship that we had the chance to be ushered into your presence with today. And so, God, as we continue to examine sin and its impact on our world, I pray that there would be an eye-opening experience for each and every one of us. When we face sin, that we wouldn't look at the person that's wronged us, but look at the reason behind it. Or today, if someone has come here carrying the burden of being their own God, that they think they can control their own life, I pray that you would begin to break that down. God, let your anointing be real. Let us be called to a greater obedience. And we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. So this whole series is based off of the struggle that Paul describes in, describes in Romans 7. Um, now it's a beautiful in any translation, but where, where I really like the reading of it is in the message translation, and I'm going to read it for you real quick. But I need something more. This is Paul. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, 
but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. I don't know if you've ever experienced what Paul's going through, but it's a daily battle. And honestly, it feels like an hourly battle that every time I'm like, I don't want to do good, but since sabotaging my life and when I try to do good, I end up doing bad. And when I don't want to do bad, I'm just a bad person. And, and I struggle with that. And Paul knew this is sin sabotaging my life. This isn't my wife. This isn't my brother. This isn't my friend. This isn't my employer. This is sin that's sabotaging my life. And so Paul calls it for what it is, what's happening in his life. And in this verse, you see the roller coaster of emotions that Paul is going through, right? Paul is emotional in his descriptions. And so we see the emotional effects of sin. You can read the pain in this description displaying the physical effects of sin. And in his cry for help, you see the spiritual sabotage that has taken place. And if I were to poll you this morning, and I would say, what's your greatest fear of sin? I believe the more majority of you would say is separation from God, right? The thing that called me to repentance wasn't that I thought Christianity was going to give me a greater enjoyment of life, though I found that to be true. The, the reason I came was because I didn't want to be spiritually disconnected from my Creator, especially when we start talking about eternity. That was the scariest reality to me. And so I knew that there had to be a connection there, and that came through the surrendering of my life and realizing if I continue to do this, I will remain a failure. And so I need someone to take control of my life. I was like, Paul, I need help because sin is sabotaging me to the point that I know what will happen if I don't surrender soon. When you look at the spiritual sabotage of sin, the greatest outcome it designed for us is the separation from our Creator. And if you've ever spent any time away from your family, you understand the toll that separation and disconnection can cause in your life, right? When Amber told me she was going to be gone for 16 weeks, when I first heard it, I thought, okay, we, we can manage that. In the first several weeks, we managed it well. After that, it became a, a really hard thing, right? Like, I, all your desire was, was to be connected with your loved one. And I wanted so bad to be with her. And to the point that recently my mother-in-law visited, and Amber was coming to bed, and I went to bed early, and she didn't know I went to bed out of anger. And I was like, uh, she came in there, I said, i got to apologize to you. She's like, for what? I said, I hate your mother right now, because I want to spend time with you, and she's getting to do it, right? That separation that caused such a desire for something inside of my life. And, and, you know, every one of us goes through that. We want to be overly connected from the person that we were separated from. We want to be all connected to them as opposed to the disconnection we had just faced. The, um, uh, the psych I read the Psychology Central thing, and it listed uh, some of the effects of separation, particularly from a parent. And this is what I said, it can affect adult relationships by being too desperate for relationships or detached from relationships. And so if you experience separation, especially as a child from those you love, when you grow up you can have attachment issues and you can have separation and anxiety as you get older. He said it can cause a fear of attachment and a fear uh, of love. Of course, we know that's counteracted because God does not give us the spirit of fear and he is the embodiment of what love is. It can form in someone a selfish attitude. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who has, um, 
has been connected from, disconnected from family before, or maybe they went through an abusive thing where there wasn't an emotional connection. And when they get older, they tend to be very possessive of their things, right? I was reading about this person who had been through abuse, and as they got older, they were sitting down for some counseling, and, they were, and, and, their, and their child was explaining how the mother never let them have the iPad until after the homework was done. And so the, so the doctor was digging in a little more, and the mother said, actually, that has nothing to do with it. I've never grown up with anything, and I don't want them to touch my new possession, right? This disconnection as a young child affects us when we become older. We become selfish in our reaction to things. Um, the separation and disconnection, uh, it can form dependency and substance abuse issues. It can lead to identity issues. As one tries to determine what a relationship looks like, when they've never seen or experienced what a relationship feels like. It can lead to a loss of hope, faith, and joy. And as I read this article, these, these effects of separation and what it causes in a person's life, I thought these are easily counteracted by the fruit of the Spirit, right? Kindness, gentleness, humbleness, all these things are the very counteractive things to what we just read about and what separation causes. So we understand that disconnection from God means disconnected from, disconnection from the fruit of the Spirit. And so if I don't have love, joy, peace, and all these things in my life, then one can only assume, and we know to be true, that you have the counter of those things. I do have hatred in my heart for people. I have a selfishness within me. And it's because I'm not connected to God, and that separation has formed it inside of me. And so if personal separation causes this, then, then, then how do you think spiritual separation affects our life? I read this quote, Connection to the Creator is as necessary to your soul as water is to your body. If your soul cannot feel the connection and feels only separation, you will feel lost, disconnected, and unsettled. God is as much a part of you as your physical body. He is connected to your soul, your spirit, and your life. You knew God before you were born. You were a part of his light and one with his breath. To feel separation from him is a devastation your soul cannot recover from. So in that moment, when we're no longer connected to God, it devastates our soul. And we cannot move forward without doing things that fill the gap of separation in our life. The sabotage of sin began in the Garden of Eden. That's when the sabotage of humanity started. Um, if you want to turn to Genesis 3, you can. I will attempt to read it as poetically as possible, so you feel like you're reading it. Um, kind of the theme of this has been Genesis 3, 16 through 19, when God dishes out the punishment to Eve and Adam for what has taken place in the Garden. Um, he says in verse 16 to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you, have, uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Prior to this punishment that God dishes out, which right there describes all three effects of sin, emotional, physical, and spiritual, prior to that, 
God would come down each and every day and he would fellowship face to face with Adam and Eve. And though God separated them from the garden, their separation began the moment they sinned. Because in that moment, they chose separation before God had even handed it out to them. God came down every day and he would fellowship and he would commune with them and he would have conversation with them. And it's all the things that we desire, right? We would love for that opportunity. And the moment they sinned, their first reaction was, I have to get away from God. And so they hid their face. Something they had done every single day was walk with God. But sin had caused them for the first time to say, I don't want to be connected to that anymore. And sin still has that effect on us today, right? If you've ever experienced sin in your life, and I'm sure you have, then you know the last person you want to talk to is Jesus. The last people you want to be around is Christians. And the last place you want to go is church. And so it's just easier to disconnect myself because of sin than it is to face the reality that there's people who love me through it. And so as Adam and Eve wrestled with guilt because of what had taken place, they allowed their guilt to determine their path. And so many times it happens to us that guilt consumes us because of what we did. And instead of surrendering it to, at the foot of the cross, talking to people who love us to walk with us through it, it's just easier because of the guilt to disconnect. And it affects you even more. And that's the exact plan that sin had upon your life. It was going to sabotage you from being connected to your Creator. And so because you have sin, you disconnect yourself from the Creator. And as a result, you fulfill the purpose of what Satan wanted. See, his purpose of sabotaging humanity was because of his being cast out of heaven. And if God wouldn't fellowship with him, then he would make sure God would fellowship with his creation. And knowing the distaste God had for sin, Satan brought it and entered into our world. And now today, each and every one of us battle inherent sin. This disposition from birth that I want to do wrong, even though I know it's wrong. And we make the choices most times to disconnect ourselves. I've never sinned, come to surrender to Christ, and never had him say, no, get out of here. I don't want to hear from you right now, right? Instead, I always find an embracing Savior who loves me despite my failure. That is still willing to move mountains even though I've let him down. That remains faithful to me even though I've been disobedient. He remains the same despite of who we are. So this morning, I, I want you to know that the desire for disconnection is not from God. As a matter of fact, as we go through this this morning, you'll see that he has such a desire for connection that he made a step that's unprecedented in all of history. The desire for disconnection is this devastation of sin that's sabotaging our life. And, and this connection has placed in us life's greatest question. What am I here for? How many times have you heard that question posed? What am I here for? Well, somebody's saying is, what's my purpose? Like, what, am, what is my role supposed to be? It's not a crazy question, because most of us look at David as this admirable man. He had his flaws, but what God know, would know him as is the apple of his eye, and all of us desire for that description. And so this question of what am I here for was actually posed by David himself. David said in Psalms 8, 3-4, When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. 
Satan, I mean, excuse me, David looked up at the sky and saw the stars and the heavens. I'm sure he looked around him and saw the beauty of creation. And in the midst of all this beautiful stuff that God had created, he saw the wickedness within him. And he said, who am I that you would create me? Like, what is the purpose of life? Why would you even want to put a person like me in the midst of such a beautiful creation? Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What's your purpose on life? Why are you here today? It's because God created you for him. The reason you were created, the reason that you are who you are is for God. Now, don't get it mistaken. God is not dependent on me to remain himself as God. Actually, it's more of an expression of his love. That he has such a love that he created me. He's not dependent upon me. There's nothing I bring to the table in that relationship. But he loves me. And through his love, there's certain expectations. Right? It's the same is true when you say I do on your wedding day. When you say I do, you're agreeing to a certain set of expectations, whether they're spoken or unspoken. I will remain faithful to my spouse. I will be there for them when no one else will. I will make sure they're taken care of. I'll protect them. I'll provide for them. I will do all these things. And even though it's not spoken, you know that the creation of that marriage was for that purpose. Even though God hasn't explicitly came to you and said, I created you because I want you to do this, we know it. It's unspoken, but we know it, that God created us for him. And he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And his purpose he chose to reveal through scripture. And now we have this book that we read that tells us what God expects of us. But God created each and every one of us for himself. And when we neglect to fulfill our purpose, there's an emptiness that we feel on the inside of us. If our great purpose for life is to serve God and we fail to do that, that emptiness is what we describe as being lost. Do you ever, when we throw that word around, have you ever thrown Christian words around to people that aren't Christian and they look at you like something crazy? That's one of the words we throw around that people are like, wait, what are you talking about? You're not lost. You're right here, right? But we throw that word around. But, but the definition of that word is when we don't fulfill our purpose, then we're lost because we were created for this. And if we don't do that, then that means we're lost, okay? And we find a beautiful example of that in Luke 15 when we read the parable of the lost sheep. If you remember, the sheep kind of wanders off and the shepherd goes and collects them and brings them back to the fold. And, and it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. But I read it sometimes and I ask this question, what defines the sheep as lost? Is it because the sheep isn't with all the other sheep? Because if that's the case, there's plenty of animals that are lost. Like what defines that sheep as being lost? It's very simple. The sheep's not fulfilling the purpose of what the shepherd has it there for. The shepherd expects that sheep to be in a grazing with the other flock. It expects that sheep to be where it's supposed to be at all times. It expects that sheep to be at the beck and call of the shepherd. And when the sheep doesn't fulfill that purpose, then the shepherd says, that sheep is lost, and I have to go find that sheep. This morning, the challenge to you is if you're not following in obedience to what God has called you to do, then the simple solution to it is you're lost. Right? That's the definition of your life. If God called you to serve him in obedience, to shine a light to the whole world, and you're failing to do that, then you're lost. 
because your purpose is not being fulfilled. You know, purpose in life is such an amazing thing. Purpose is what drives us to do the things that we do. Purpose is what allows us to push through those feelings of tiredness and sickness to go to the place that we're supposed to go. If you're in a job and you feel so much purpose being fulfilled through it, you'll know that the mornings when you wake up and go, I would rather be anywhere else but here, but you still get dressed and you show up to work, that's purpose that has pushed you through that. It's purpose that causes us as church members to want to come to church and fellowship with others and to want to be obedient to Christ and to want to make sure that we're in fellowship with those around us. Like It's purpose that causes us to do that because when we understand that we were created for God and for His purpose, then it begins to define our life greater for us. Purpose in life is what drives us to do the necessary things even when we don't feel like it. But the spiritual sabotage of sin, it came with a price. A life for a life. I want to read a a quick little story. Boarding the SS Dorchester on a dreary winter day in 1943 were 903 troops and four chaplains, including Moody alumnus Lieutenant George Fox. World War II was in full swing, and the ship was headed across the icy North Atlantic where German U-boats lurked. At 12 on the morning of February the 3rd, a German torpedo ripped into the ship. She's going down, the men cried, scrambling for lifeboats. A young GI crept up to one of the chaplains. I've lost my life jacket. He said, take this. The chaplain said, handing the soldier his jacket. Before the ship sank, each chaplain gave his life jacket to another man. The heroic chaplains then linked arms and lifted their voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. Lieutenant Fox and his fellow pastors were awarded posthumously the Distinguished Service Cross. The help that Paul was crying for in chapter 7 of Romans came in the form of a substitution. I love sports. Well, there was times that I couldn't fulfill the purpose I was out there for because I was tired or I was injured. And I would look to the coach and say, I need a substitution. And God looked down on humanity and said, they can't fulfill the requirements that we have. There has to be a substitution. And God, in all of his love for us, said, and the only substitution that will work is for man to take my place and for me to take their place and to pay for sin A life had to be taken and Jesus stepped in and he offered himself in substitution for us. Jesus stepped in as a solution to a sabotaged life. He looked at us and said, if I don't intervene and substitute myself in for them, then they're destined for eternal separation, not just earthly separation. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says, And you who were once alienated, spiritually separated, And hostile in mind, emotionally sabotaged, doing evil deeds, physically sabotaged. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him. In that moment, God looked at us and said, they can't do it on their own. So I have to substitute myself in for them. And he came down and the consequences of our sin meant that he had to give his life. And so instead of me hanging on a cross for the vile things I've done, Jesus stood there. I hung there on a cross with my vile things upon his shoulders so that I could be reconnected from a disconnected creator. 
And through the death of Christ, we have now been redeemed and the price for sin has been paid. And though we were separated, we now have daily fellowship with God through reading our Bibles and prayer. And though we were separated, we now have daily fellowship with God. I already said that. just wanted you to hear it twice. And though we were cast out of the garden, we have been invited to his eternal, eternal reward. Those humiliated by our mistakes, he has wiped the slate clean. So now physical, emotional, and spiritual sabotage attempts on our life have no effect on our eternal destination. This morning, if, if you're not fulfilling your purpose, then you're lost. Because God created you for him. And if you're not following him in obedience and faithfulness, then sin is spiritually sabotaging your life. The whispers that you hear in your ear that say, no, you're good, everything's okay. Now, you don't need to be there, that's fine. Those whispers that you're hearing, that's sin steadily sabotaging your life. So you know, that's all right. No, no, you're not a bad person. Have you seen this person? Now, they're a bad person. That's sin sabotaging your life. Whenever you're battling things and, and you want to wrestle with it and say, well, that's not as bad as you think it is, that's sin sabotaging your life. And this morning, if you're sitting here delusional to the fact that you need a savior, then that's sin sabotaging your life because you cannot do it on your own. Over and over again, we read throughout this Bible, people who tried to do it on their own and failed miserably. Time and time again, I've hit my face at the altar because I tried to do it by myself and I failed miserably. This morning, if failure is the option that you no longer want, then it means surrender to God. This morning, if, if spiritually you know that the enemy has sabotaged you so much, then know that the solution is surrender to a substitutional Savior who looked at you and said, I don't want you to be weighted down with the sabotage spiritually that's bringing upon your life. I want you to be connected. Sin's consequences have been paid. All is not lost because God's able to save you. God's able to find you, though you're lost, bring you back into the fold, and offer a hope and eternal destiny that you couldn't buy on your own. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for the beautiful examples that you place throughout all of Christianity. God, that you place all throughout your word for us. This constant reminder that if I'm dependent upon myself, I'll fail. But if I surrender to you, though sin's goal is to sabotage me, you bring redemption and reconciliation. This morning, God, I pray for each and every person here. God, I pray for the person who's here that may be lost and not realized it. God, that you've opened their eyes to that reality that if they're not following your purpose, they're lost. But God, they would see the beauty in a creator who loves his creation so much that he would step in place for them because he wants them to be connected. God, all the misery they've faced because of sin sabotage, all the physical pain they've faced, because of sin sabotage. God, the disconnection and separation that's caused all kinds of struggles because of sin sabotage. That this morning, they can be relieved of those past and they can look to the future with greater hope. This morning, if you're here with every head bowed, every eye closed, I, I want you to know that, that all is not lost, that hope still exists because you're still breathing. This morning, I want to give you the chance if you're here and sin has sabotaged you to the point that you don't even know how to move forward any longer. I got a suggestion for you. The forward movement for you this morning is to come to the altar and allow God to reconcile you and redeem you and bring you back into the fold.
This morning, you're the sheep that is lost, and He is running to your rescue. And He wants to bring you back to the family. He wants to bring you back to connection with Him. If you're here this morning, while the music plays, and everyone prays, I want you to know the altar is open, and there's people ready to walk that journey with you, but you have to make the first step. The altar's open this morning.